Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Enrique Alvarez here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Enrique, how you doing? All right. Looks like we have got some connection issues. So, hey, that happens on live programming from time to time. But, hey, folks, we have got a wonderful show teed up here today. We're going to be focused on ESG, environmental, social, and governance, and how ESG mandates are impacting global supply chain. In particular, we'll be offering expertise on how supply chain risk programs can adapt and be effective uh, when it comes to the evolving landscape. So we've got Heiko Schwartz uh, with Sphera uh, joining us in just a moment. Moment, And folks, hey, we want to hear from you too. So you're going to hear great perspective and expertise from our panel here. But use that chat uh, bar, the cheap seats as we call it, to give us your take as well. All right. So, hey, we're going to be working. Big thanks to Amanda and Catherine behind the scenes. We're going to be working to get uh, Enrique Alvarez back with us. Uh, sometimes we have snafus from time to time. We're going to move right into our guest in just a second. But, hey, we see uh, Iris is tuned in uh, from Iris via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. We'd love to uh, to welcome you in. I think we got Richard, uh, Richard Zarkal tuned in from uh, across LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Uh, as well. Teed up for a great, a great conversation. So with no further ado, I want to welcome in the star of today's show, uh, Heiko Schwartz, Global Supply Chain Risk Advisor with Schwera. Hey, hey, Heiko, how you doing? Hi, Scott. Thanks for the intro. And I'm doing great. Looking forward to having a great conversation with you over the course of the next hour. I am too. And, you know, we're working on uh, resilience here <laughs> via live streaming technology as well. So appreciate your uh, your patience with us. But we've got a bunch of folks tuned in. Uh, let's say while we've got you here, Heiko, before we dive into our fun warm-up question, I want to say mm -hmm. hello to uh, Glormar is back with us via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. I, I want to say California, uh, Glormar. You're here with us a lot. Jody via LinkedIn from New York City. Uh, Ronit uh, from London, Canada via LinkedIn. Great to see you. Scott down here in our neck of the woods in Georgia. Great uh, to see you, Scott, via LinkedIn. And Jeff uh, Jefferson from Qatar uh, via LinkedIn. Great to see you here as well. Hey, I want one more shout out here, Heiko. You ever had barbecue in Kansas City? Well, Dan, I bet, can give us some tips around good food in Kansas City. Dan's with us uh, via LinkedIn as well. All right. So, Heiko. If you can't tell, we love talking food here uh, at Supply Chain Now, food, sports, music, and of course, lots and lots of supply chain. But what I want to ask you, because today is uh, National Moscato Day here in the States, right? Uh, and, and we enjoy our adult beverages as well. So I want to start with, as temperatures are getting hotter, right, what is one, one of your go-to adult beverages for, uh, you know, kicking your feet up and relaxing a little bit? Great. Um yeah, you know, I'm based in Munich, and Munich citizens would consider Munich as the capital of beer in, in Germany. So I definitely like always a cold one, but my preferred adult drink is a gin and tonic. 
and um, formerly, or I, I was born in, in Freiburg, which is a small city at the bottom of the Black Forest. And from there, you'll probably find also all over the world a nice gin, which is called Monkey 47. And okay. that's the preferred one I, I use as my standard gin. For sure, there are plenty of great ones. And it kind of ties into your roots. I love that. Uh, and as I, and folks, all of y'all that are tuned in, we got a big global audience. Let us know your favorite relaxing beverage that you might use, whether it's hot or cold weather. Um, Heiko, you also mentioned uh, in the pre-show you're a big soccer fan, football fan, and I believe Freiburg's got a great team, huh? Oh, definitely. The team is doing great. So usually it is always a fight to to remain in the first German league. But this year in uh, SC Freiburg, which is the hometown club or my hometown club, is is doing really well. And um, yeah, looking forward to getting a um, place within the top five of, of the German soccer team. So it's pretty cool. Oh, excellent. And uh, might they suit you up in case they need some some more all-stars for the team, perhaps, Heiko? Yeah. Definitely others would pay for it, so they continue to, or they, they will lose all the time because I'm probably one of the worst soccer players in the world. Well, hey, you and I both, you and I both. I love, I can slide tackle with the best of them, but I cannot kick that soccer ball, football, to save my life. Um, okay, hey, we got a couple of, uh, we got lots of folks tuning in with us here today. Arthur, uh, Bourbon, anytime, he says Ooh. via LinkedIn. Great to see you. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Glormar. Pina colada with Bacardi and whiskey and coconut water. Man, it sounds delicious. Uh, and let's see here. Um, Marino says uh, Cap Caparana, perhaps. Uh, that just sounds beautiful. Uh, so hey, let us know where you're tuned in from, Marino. Um, all right. So Heiko, we've got a bit, we've got a big conversation to work through here today. I appreciate um, your thought leadership, your expertise, especially on um, the ever important. Uh, uh, growing importance of ESG, not just across global supply chain, but really across global business. And where I want to start uh, with this is you've got your finger on the pulse, right? You work with business leaders across the globe. Um, Heiko, what would you say some of their top priorities are right now? Yeah, so um, I think McKinsey in their, their current kind of study about CEOs' priorities um, um, illustrates quite well what we also see in the market. And I'm having conversations with supply chain procurement professionals every day since years and, and more than almost two decades now. And um, the top priority mentioned by CEOs, according to McKinsey now, is um, building resilience as an organizational muscle. Um, I think that's an already a nice segue for the following conversation. Leading into change is another priority. Technology as foundation of growth. Net zero. Um, I think here we will also kind of touch the ESG um, topics uh, while over the following conversation. And um, yeah, retaining and winning talent is, is an ongoing kind of challenge. And when, when we zoom into the kind of procurement supply chain priorities, they, they become more um, specified for sure, not that kind of generalistic. And here we see that supply continuity is an ongoing theme. So the new normal is disruption. The new normal is um, being challenged by ethical, social non-compliance through the entire supply network. And mm -hmm. I think this is also a, a common scheme across all different um, verticals that we uh, have conversations with across the world. Yeah, uh, uh, what a great starting point. There's no backsliding. 
Gone is 2018. Gone is 1992. Uh, we've got to move forward into uh, what lies ahead. And, that's, and that really, that's good for, for all. It's good for industry. Mm-hmm. It's good for our globe. We're going to touch on some of these things uh, when it comes to um, how all stakeholders across the ecosystem uh, can win. But Heiko, so I want to I want to close before we move forward. So Marino mentioned uh, Caparana, uh, Caparana. It's a Brazilian drink, lime, sugar, and pinga. So, Marino, that sounds delicious, and we're going to have to break bread at some point soon and enjoy uh, enjoy that drink. Um, all right. So, Heiko, I want to keep driving with you here. So, uh, let's continue uh, setting the table. So, if you could shed some light on how ESG has, not, has become not only a bigger and bigger part of global supply chain, but also how it factors into supply chain risk. Yeah. I mean, traditionally, the supply chain risk management discipline was focusing heavily or even main, um, only um, on disruption risk to make sure that the supply chains, which are the bloodlines of the enterprise, um, are performing and operating according to um, the expectations. But um, the last decade has changed that very siloed perspective of supply chain risk management programs across the world. And mm. the main influential um, factors were um, customers. Um, when I'm talking about customers, I mean enterprise buyers, but also consumers, um, which are interested and demand more and more sustainable products that are built in a sustainable, in an ethical, reasonable manner. Mm. And for sure, that also drives change in the way how you um, acquire the ingredients and, and products and materials that you need to build your own offerings and, and services. And Heiko, also, I would add uh, how we design all of that, right? Yeah. And how we can factor that into the overall equation, correct? De- definitely. And and there are more pressure points that, that completely kind of change the picture from SCRM, supply chain risk management. I will use SRM moving forward as the yep. acronym. Um, to to keep the dialogue a little bit more crisp. <laughs> we love uh, our acronyms here in global. We love our acronyms here in global supply chain, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I'm German. We love long words. So, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, regulators have been another kind of reason that um, pushed this this um, focus of the discipline to be more holistic and embracing ESG and sustainability topics. Well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the acronym in the yes is UFLPA, the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act. Mm. There's the UK Modern Slavery Act. There's a German Supply Chain Act uh, about human rights in the supply chain. So these are all pressure points that apply massive pressure to enterprises that act globally to make sure that within their supply networks, um, ethical standards, human rights standards, environmental standards, labor standards are met according to the expectations of the regulators. And that mm-hmm. also drives change and, behave, and behavior um, within the supply networks because every brand owner that has to protect the own reputation and has to be compliant also pushes down these requirements to the suppliers. So do the suppliers to the suppliers, etc. And that has a significant impact how supply networks are um, acting nowadays. Yeah. It's a whole ecosystem responsible, really, right? Yes, yes. And it goes even beyond customers and, and regulators. I mean, investors, 
um, think about the annual letter from Larry Fink to to um, um, the the companies that um, BlackRock is investing into, and I mean that's just an one picture Blackstone, the Norwegian State Fund, all those large investors, they consider ESG profiles of um, their potential or existing investments as one of the decision parameters. And meanwhile, also banks do connect um, the interest rates for loans um, to the ESG profile and CSR scores of enterprises which means it can really pay off financially with better terms and conditions of financial um, um, products um, if you can prove that your business is acting in a sustainable and, and uh, ethical manner. Mm. I love how you illustrate the financial side. Uh, it's not just customers and suppliers, but and, and investors, consumers, and your banking partners. This is really, uh, it's becoming universal, right? De definitely, and it, it, it goes even beyond that, right? I mean, talent. Uh, I just said um, McKinsey considers a, a, attracting and retention of top talent as one of the top five priorities for CEOs. And imagine working or imagine top talent. Um, what is top talent expecting from a business they, they really uh, desire to work for? Definitely a business that and contributes to a safer, sustainable world. And um, that means the business that you apply for um, has to match these requirements. And um, if you want to retain these top talent that want to do something with a purpose nowadays, um, 20 years ago, it was about earning money only, right? right. Now, and we, we want to drive purpose. And um, I just became dead. So I want to make also my contribution for a better and more sustainable world, right? <laughs> and um, I would definitely not be a kind of role model if I would work for a company that destroys the environment, that doesn't mm. consider labor, uh, good labor practices, et cetera, in, in all the countries where the business operates supply chains or is um, doing business transactions. Yeah. Mm. Heiko, first off, congratulations. I think that came up in the pre-show. Uh, congratulations on your new addition. And I like how you kind of like, you. I know you're kind of tongue-in-cheek, but you personalize the mission. And, the, and you're speaking to the responsibility we all have uh, as, as parents, as, um, as supply chain leaders, as business leaders. To make sure no one's left behind, and there's a lot of there's a lot more heavy lifting we can all do that the industry must do to address some of these things you're speaking to. And then finally, uh, I, I love how you expand the universe too, because as you said, it's bigger than the universe. And you mentioned talent, and you're so you're, it's so true. Folks want to be part of a team more and more that is doing good, yeah. it's driving change, uh, it's addressing the wrongs uh, across across industry. And and again, we have so much more to do. So I appreciate that call out. Before we move in, I'm, before I take a few comments and before we, we uh, ask you about some examples of how organizations are doing, any, any last comment before I move forward, Heiko? So I can I can move right forward here as we want to recognize we have Benjamin Goldkling back with us, Heiko. Benjamin is essentially an OG member of our Supply Chain Now community. He's up doing mm -hmm. big things up in the Northeast, I believe now. As he says, Supply Chain Now has been keeping up on Spotify on the morning commute. Happy to be back in action. Awesome. Wonderful. Uh, Agnes tuned in from Kenya via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Agnes. And finally, Felicia, uh, going back to our favorite adult beverages. Felicia says uh, she hails from Redmond, Washington uh, via LinkedIn. Uh, let's see here. Duchess de Bargagon. Get that close. Bargogne. 
Thank you. Thank you, Heiko. Thank you. Uh, that's, that's her drink of choice. It's a sour beer with a balsamic taste. Man, that sounds really good. I bet it'd be great to pair with food. Um, all right. So Heiko, thank you for saving me. My, uh, my poor, uh, uh, my poorly spoken English gets me in trouble from time to time. Um, all right. So I want to get into some examples. You've really laid, uh, laid out a lot of things here on, on a really big global supply chain table. Uh, Heiko, give us some uh, examples in terms of how organizations are truly building supply chain risk programs around these ESG goals and really demands from all parties. Yeah. So I, I think the what we understood based on all those different pressure points is, first of all, supply chain risk management programs nowadays embrace all the facets um, of ESG and sustainability in a combination of all the topics that disrupt the business uh, from a physical perspective. Mm. And um, here, leading industries um, were the chemical industries or industries that um, have strong brands associated with the, the finished product, like in the CPG space, as example, um, because differentiating um, um, Differentiation was done via brand or is done via brand in, in these industries or, as I said, chemicals uh, once was perceived as a dirty industry. Uh, so to make sure that, especially from an environmental uh, perspective, the supply chains are operated um, in an ethical manner um, makes, meanwhile, many chemical uh, organi um, industries or companies stand out from the crowd and really differentiate by um, leading ESG and sustainability practices. Mm. One example to mention here is as Clariant. It's an, a larger special chemical um, provider, um, which is headquartered in Switzerland, um, where um, the procurement organization just released a new vision um, to um, embrace sustainability and um, ESG compliance as one of the leading decision parameters for making procurement and buying decisions. And with that, they also set the tone um, and started to change the parameters of the supply relationship management program, where um, traditionally price, quality, quantity reliability, um, um, and performance, and maybe um, management involvement uh, was considered as the main parameters to judge on supplier performance. And meanwhile, um, ESG sustainability compliance are parameters to score suppliers as good suppliers or bad suppliers. And then based mm. on the profile also to, to start with uh, mitigation or supplier development programs. Mm. And very interestingly, the procurement organization at Clariant now has has called out as one of the main themes that um, quality over quantity regarding the supplier base is a leading theme, which means also um, quality in regards of the ESG profiles of the business partners is now one parameter um, for granting business or re-awarding business uh, with existing suppliers. So that really changes the incentivization of the procurement organization, right? Because incentivization drives behavior. And um, you can imagine that the trade-off between 
do I rather take a risky decision of a maybe not that compliant supplier, but I generate huge savings versus a maybe higher quality um, um, supplier with less savings is really a trade-off for operational mm. roles. And once you are not solving this trade-off from vision, strategy, and then incentivization, you're not driving a change of behavior. Mm. Heiko, let me ask you a quick follow-up question there. I, I love this uh, quality over quantity uh, theme that Clarion has really embraced. I would, uh, um, you know, given the interest, especially in recent years, of making sure we're not single-threaded with suppliers and 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 there's lots of redundancy there. I'm assuming that Clarion team's got to really double down in terms of their sourcing of, of new supplier, new quality suppliers into their ecosystem. Is that right? Uh, definitely, definitely. And um, like like all the other businesses over the course of the last three years, also Clarion is facing challenges within the supply chain, but they have established a world-class program uh, which really um, considers all the different facets of sustainability scoring, um, ESG um, scoring, um, supply chain disruption threat scores um, to be put into one holistic kind of scheme and program and having built a um, governance around it to make sure that they really get adoption in the field and adoption means execution of, of these decisions that drive a more sustainable world. Mm. And um, they get rewarded by uh, standing out from the crowd and getting credits from their customers in the automotive industry, as example, because they became the supplier of choice because of their world-class ESG profile. And they can demonstrate also to investors um, that they are not ending with ESG efforts at their own four walls, but extend this and use the full leverage of the entire supply network to, to contribute to a better world. And that really makes a difference. Yes. Uh, Heiko, before we move to your next example, it's good to see them rewarded uh, by um, customers and other shareholders, right? When they make the bold commitments from what I'm hearing from you to draw a line in the sand and, hey, this is what we're going to do, and we're not going to compromise. So it's great to hear because uh, those are those are really tough decisions and uh, actions to take. But it really, um, the more companies make those bold actions, um, the industry collectively is going to move forward. And and that's mm-hmm. some of the heavy lifting we were talking about on the front end. It's got to happen, right? De- definitely, there's there's no way around. And I think it is not only an obligation. It is also an opportunity, right? Because you can differentiate, you can stand out from the crowd, get awarded more business, get better financing terms. So there's a lot to win. Yes, team. Uh, your team members are happy. Your customers are happy. Your suppliers are happy because uh, they're getting better with those supplier scorecards you're talking about. Uh, so that's good stuff. With what? So the Clarion uh, was the first example, and and. Um, where, give us another example of what you're seeing out there when it, and it comes to organizations really finding ways of building supply chain risk programs around these ESG goals and, and demands. Yeah. So meanwhile, what we see in the market that every company um, builds in ESG aspects and sustainability aspects into their supply chain risk management programs, um, the one doesn't go without the other anymore. It's like a, a coin that has two pages, like the medal, right? One of them is the disruption threat, 
Um, it's obvious, and since COVID, it became just a mandatory exercise to make sure you can identify threats in your supply network, you're aware of the potential impacts to your business, um, to be able to, to understand the vulnerabilities of the supply network and how your suppliers are prepared to start understanding the sub-tier structures to, to have the full profile and the full visibility of the relations and dependencies. And then basically, based on all this transparency, set up the preventive actions to avoid that bad stuff happens, but also to have the plan B in the shelf uh, once the internet connection is broken and, and uh, Enrique is not there, right? To know what to do and to still continue with um, the podcast once these, these um, situations occur. And like it really quick, yeah. I just got I got a remark. Uh, I admire your sense of humor. You know, here in the digital era, the remote digital era, oftentimes uh, Murphy's Law is still alive and well. So I, I appreciate <laughs> your sense of humor here. All right, please continue. Yeah, and um, meanwhile, um, the the ESG and sustainability footprint um, didn't stop at the enterprise. Um, so we see all small and mid-sized businesses as well, um, sometimes even leading uh, with um, their hands-on mentalities and, and setups uh, with excellent um, approaches where um, all the facets of sustainability um, are part of the supply chain risk management mm. programs. And what they all have in common is the large ones, the mid-size and the small ones that are successfully or have successfully implemented those programs are that they started with building a proper case at the very beginning. Yes. They, they took the time to identify internally their primary and um, primary stakeholders and the external stakeholders of the program, which are mainly the suppliers in terms of the external ones. But internal um, stakeholders um, does mean for um, excellent programs that these programs do not stop at supply chain and procurement. Um, they also um, are set up in a cross-functional way. Um, so um, sales, marketing, communications, legal, insurance or finance as departments and the ESG and CSR functions are part of all the stakeholders mm. because based on, on making them part of the case, you also get access to their expectations. And by understanding their expectations of these cross-functional stakeholders, you can also make sure that for the design of, of the case, all the relevant risk dimensions or risk factors or um, risk indicators, however you want to call your risk inventory, is covered and satisfies the needs of all those stakeholders. Because at the very end, once you operate a successful program, it also, the mitigation won't stop at supply chain or procurement or logistics only. It can't. It can't. Right? You, you need all those stakeholders um, to, to solve the, the challenges that you face in the supply networks. Not always everybody, but very pointed, right? And, and, and you need to laser sharp um, um, pick out the, the right um, share, uh, um, um, stakeholders that you need to solve um, a problem within the supply chain. And um, once you forgot to bring them on, on board at the beginning, they will wonder at the end, like, ah, now when, when the shit hits the fan, uh, now no, no, you, you're asking me what my expectation would have been from, from the very beginning. That's not how it's going to work. Yeah. Yep. 
All right. So you're you're uh, you got a great segue coming up because uh, you're talking about really that collaboration across enterprise, and we'll get there in just a second. I want I want to recognize a couple comments here. Uh, hey, this is Kora Kose with Gartner. Of course, it's uh, Gartner Supply Chain Symposium and Expo this week. He's even man tuned in on his lunch break. Uh, Kora, great to see. You. I appreciate your comments here. Uh, and it appears we may have Enrique Alvarez <laughs> back from the wilderness. Enrique, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Yes. I'm going to have you. to thank Heiko for that. I think that the minute that he mentioned my name, the whole computer woke up and I am back. So <laughs> Heiko, thank you very much for bringing me back from the dead. All right. Well, hey, uh, you missed a really good front end of the conversation, but I bet you were tuned in from the green green room. And we're about to move into the second half. Before we do, uh, Heiko and Enrique, I want to uh, just recognize this. Uh, and and uh, Himini, great to see you here via LinkedIn. Uh, your question is an ongoing question. And the good news there, we're not going to address it here today for the sake of our conversation, but the good news there. It's, it is very straightforward to find that balance because by doing the right thing and addressing ESG, as Heiko mentioned on the front end, companies, leadership, um, they're being rewarded, right? Uh, so so there's, there's surprisingly a lot of ways to balance uh, cost efficiencies and ESG. We'll touch on that maybe later in the, um, the, the hour. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so Heiko and Enrique. Heiko, where, where, where I want to go next is you you were just talking about how we've got to make progress across the enterprise, right? We got you, you were talking about building that business case. So we're we're getting folks invested, we're getting their their thoughts, their expertise, um, their buy-in on the front end before we set out on this big journey. Uh, and and as you mentioned, it requires um, uh, collaboration and input and work across the enterprise. So if you can address this collaboration that uh, has got to happen to drive progress related ESG goals. How does it happen? Yeah, so one of the kind of um, answers to to the challenges of setting up proper programs and cross-functional programs that need a lot of collaboration internally, but also externally, never forget the business partner. Um, as, as suppliers should be considered part of the solution, not part of the problem. Um, automation through technology and in this specific case, it's going to be software is key to um, get all these um, activities um, executed at a large scale. Because as we learned, especially the regulatory pressure applies to all stakeholders within the supply network. Regulators don't make any distinction between large suppliers, small suppliers, US suppliers, German suppliers, whatever. Um, the legislation always tell you, you have to make sure that whatever human rights are properly considered into your supply chain operations, full mm. stop, right? Which means, I mean, if you, you can't just hire hundreds of people that do audit the suppliers every month. You, I mean, you, you just can't, you, you don't get additional budgets, right? And uh, that means you need um, technologies at scale that, foster and easy all the collaboration, the communication, the flow of information, the automated detection of threats and non-compliance within the supply network to understand, first of all, the structure of the supply network. Where are the seaports, airports, warehouses, distribution centers that my suppliers are using? What are the suppliers of my suppliers? So technology in terms of, of software is 
needed to, to drive this automation. And we want our teams, our experts, to spend their valuable time on the preventive actions and once the unpredictable happens on the proper crisis response, we don't want them to, to take their valuable time and spend their time on uh, reading newspapers, newsletter, web feeds, etc., to identify potential threats in the networks, right? Mm. So quick comment. I, I love what you just implied there. Um, you know, workers, practitioners, uh, the workforce, under a ton of stress and strain and and pressure. And to your point, which I want to shout from the mountaintops, and Ricky, we'll get your comment here, but we got to make it easier. We got to equip them with the technology uh, to empower them to be more successful. So as we roll out new initiatives, it's not it doesn't go from a 40 hour week to a 60 hour week but it allows them to keep the business moving forward while making it better. And let's, we got to give them the tools to do just that. Enrique comment on that before I go back to Heiko. No, I think that Heiko is absolutely right about technology and technology is going to play an important part in this and really in everything we do from now on, it's just amazing what technology and artificial intelligence is doing these days. The other thing that I think could be important is uh, certain certifications, for example, B Corp, uh, if we actually have all these programs that are pushed by uh, different uh, companies to certify not only the company, but the entire supply chain of certain companies, I think having those certifications could also help and validate the fact that companies are responsible uh, in their ESG goals. Mm, well said. Well said. Okay. Uh, so we're going to talk probably a lot more about technology and technology trends in just a second. But Heike, before we do, is there anything else you would like to uh, share when it comes to ensuring we got this, this critical collaboration across functional areas? Yeah, I, I think, uh, first of all, do not leave the supplier out of the equation and make the suppliers part of the solution rather than considering them as part of the problem. Mm. And um, because at the end of the day, to, to really kind of solve the supply chain challenge, you need full visibility of the network. And that means you've got to verify if potentially detected sub-tiers are really the suppliers for the materials or products that your suppliers are using and so on down the supply chain. You can do a lot of web kind of crawling to detect potential business relations, but you end up at tier three with uh, millions of relations, which of which 99% are not relevant. Mm. Um, and... So you can't solve that problem yourself. Means at the end of the day, even you got to make sure that your business partners become resilient themselves as well. And there's no way around technology and getting these business partners access to your tools, your systems, at least partially to be part of one network that starts building resilience because there is huge transparency about the threats that are exposing this network to non-compliance, to potential disruptions. And that means uh, that that requires technology that connects all the different dots and makes collaboration easy and um, um, th that there are also no kind of um, gaps or breaches across the different um, data points that have to flow from A to B to also support successful and timely mitigations and um, um, preventive actions. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Heiko, you just shared 
you're bringing so much good news here. That's one of our favorite things to talk about. I want to, uh, Enrique, before I come to you for your follow-up thoughts there, a couple of things. So Karen, one of our favorite members here that shows up for live streams and webinars, always brings it. Karen says, they are, to Heiko's point, all part of the team to create success. Outstanding thoughts, Heiko. Completely agree there. Great to have you here. And I would just add, um, Heiko and Enrique, I love how you're talking about you got you to involve. You can't leave any supplier behind. For two big reasons, or three big reasons, maybe. Number one, their ideas, right, for how we can make gains, ESG and otherwise. Number two, because it will make them more resilient. And we all know that we're, our su supply chains are only as strong as our weakest supplier, right? And then number three, it will make them better. And to your point, Heiko, what you're implying is we do it with them, and there's something in it for them, and there's something in it for us, and, and for all parties, really, right? Enrique, speak to, to some of those concepts for a second, then I'm going to uh, go back to Heiko to talk about technology trends. Yes, of course. And not only I agree with what Heiko is saying, but I think you have to not only collaborate with your suppliers, but maybe even co-invest with them, right? I think once you actually put money into some joint projects, some ventures together, I think that's even stronger. The bond, the tie that you create, the relationship you create is even stronger. And there's uh, one of my favorite examples of that is Patagonia. I mean, they do a fantastic job, not only collaborating and sharing and being open and honest about the things that, uh, that they need to resolve and improve, but they're putting basically their money where their mouth is. They're really co-investing in their suppliers, tier one, twos, and sometimes even threes to the point that everyone is aligned from like an economic standpoint, which I believe it's very important. Robust alignment. And hey, I love how you started. Uh, there's a great phrase that was part of my upbringing, uh, blessed be the ties that bind. I think it's old hymn uh, from church. And that, you know, it's amazing how those old things from where you were a kid, they're so relevant today because the bonds between our suppliers, between our customers, between our team members, between uh, industry, and that's where big gains are if we, we can capture that alignment. Um, Heiko, so much, so much to walk through. And by the way, uh, T-Squared, who holds down the fort for us uh, on YouTube, connect and develop. Yes. Uh, and drive mutual success. I'll add a third one there, T-Squared. And I saw your adult beverage. I'll circle back to that in a second. But Heiko, technology, you know, uh, one of the big movements that democratizes a lot of this and enables organizations, big, small, all points in between, to make more progress and empower their people and make them and, and allow them to be more successful, of course, is technology. So speak to some of the technology trends at play here. Yeah, I, I think um, we are at a wonderful kind of um, point in time where um, computing power, AI technology, um, knowledge about the best user interface design and, and kind of a API based um, software economy are converging um, trends that all come together, which makes life much more easier because enterprises not necessarily have to make the uh, one sweet vendor decision and um, kind of live with mediocre or average kind of solutions for all kinds of problems rather than um, betting on best of breed technologies and, and um, eating the elephant in slices as well. And that is what, what AI technology allows enterprises to do, right? You can choose and pick and choose. That's the right term, pick and choose. Um, 
what fits best to the specific business and use case and also the, the skill set of the um, internal and external stakeholders and connect the dots, right? Mm. I mean, supply chain risk management is not an isolated discipline. For sure, it's it's holistic in, in, in itself when considering all kind of man-made risks and CSR-related ones and financial health and uh, regulatory and sanction control and cyber and whatever. But these risk scores that you get as insights, they should feed um, the sourcing systems to make better sourcing decisions because that's the point in time when you award the business to maybe a new business partner and already start onboarding all the associated risks, right? So um, kind of recycle that information or when there is the need to, to um, shrink the supplier portfolio and create um, price effects and savings by demand pooling. Well, combine the decisions about the bundling efforts with the insights about the ESG sustainability risk profiles of the business partners to make sure that the increased volume that remains on fewer suppliers, which means also more dependencies, is right. based on the sustainable, healthy, um, low-risk key ones, right, to avoid maybe having a short-term saving, but tremendous, like, huge firefighting costs one year later because mm. um, uh, things are messed up. So API is one key. Um, second, AI. Um, AI, meanwhile, allows um, businesses to scan all unstructured information sources worldwide every second and th through, through, this, through the data to um, get the one piece of information that really puts the supply chain at risk, ideally as a kind of preventive or predictive indicator um, to, to really make sure you're not missing anything, right? Because we once made the math, it is already kind of a few years ago. So we, we made the math that a mid-sized business with 500 suppliers would require 40,000 employees if they would be reading all major news publications around the world. Wow. 24-7, 365 days a year, just to understand if one of their suppliers have been mentioned into those news. Second, they have to make the choice, is this information now relevant or not? Is it good? Is it a bad information? Is it potentially carrying a disruptive indication or is it maybe something that puts our reputation at, at, at uh, risk, and then to map this information to the respective supplier and deduct also action based on this. AI can do this within a millisecond, completely automated, without the need of 40,000 people reading, right? <laughs> because they are also hungry and want their vacation. That is right. not that into the math, right? <laughs> it's kind of, um, uh, can you imagine hiring 40,000 people? Man. Talk about, uh, we'd have to get more than uh, slices of elephant. We'd have to be swallowing elephants uh, whole to, to, to make that leap. But there, there's good news. AI can do that for us much faster and better and freeing up the people we do have to do things that, that humans are, are, are better suited and, and, and can use more of their skill sets and make more enjoyable uh, tasks throughout the day uh, is what I guess is what I'm kind of hearing, Heiko. Definitely. And last but not least, um, knowing how, how people behave and um, how usability can drive adoption allows um, technology providers um, to gamify enterprise applications, to gamify business processes which per se and, and topics which are per se pretty complex 
like supply chain risk is a super complex thing, yeah. but you can make it very easy and, um, um, and, and, and easiness and fun to use drives adoption. Um, like 20 years ago, um, our industry has built expert systems for procurement professionals, for supply chain designers, for supply chain managers, for logistic guys. And these systems were expert systems with 250 kind of fields in one screen and it right. needs training, etc. And when you end up with a 100,000 employee enterprise, you basically had at the end 10 people who could master these systems. Means you, you lose all the positive upside of adopting the business process for the for the enterprise because you only have ten people adopting this stuff, right? Right. And now we can make things so much easier with visualization, with graphs, etc., and to to make even someone who never touched supply chain risk in the past within one two hours a supply chain risk management professional. Yeah. Yes. You know. Heiko, that's such a great point that's often overlooked is, is the power of adoption. You know, because if you've got the supply chain magic wand out there, but no one uses it, what's it worth, right? Yeah. Enrique, weigh in here on uh, adoption and, and, and really some of the other principles that Heiko is talking about in terms of uh, technology trends that are in play to make life easier for our teams. Well, AI is definitely a big player. Um, I wanted to point out, though, that, I mean, it has to be responsible AI because some of these algorithms, depending on who's program, programming them and how they're programmed, they could also have biases that lead to wrong conclusions. So it's it's exciting, and I totally agree. I think it's something that they can we can leverage, uh, not only because they're more efficient and faster and make zero mistakes sometimes, but we do have to make sure that, uh, that we're employing the right um, algorithms and, and with the right ethic and culture and values behind them to make sure that we're really highlighting the outliers uh, as opposed to maybe becoming more biases, which is something we definitely don't need. Enrique, excellent point. Uh, Heiko, uh, mm -hmm. one final question before we get into making sure folks uh, know about some of the big news uh, in your neck of the woods and with the Sphera and Risk Methods family. Uh, gamification. I wonder if uh, Sega and Nintendo and uh, Sony is coming out with new supply chain adventure games. You think you think that's on on the verge of <laughs> of uh, what's next? Maybe <laughs> so. We'll be. see. Great. Uh, <laughs> but but gamification, uh, you know, making it easier, making it in some cases fun, um, you know, empowering our people. That's got to be a theme. Uh, you know, leveraging technology uh, as we help our workforce uh, do more. And, and 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 do it in a more rewarding fashion. That is so critical. Um, all right, so Heiko, let's talk about the Sphera acquisition of risk methods. Pretty exciting. What does that mean for the market and what lies ahead beyond that uh, that the Nintendo game around supply chain adventure? <laughs> we'll see. What, what lies ahead? Yeah, I think it illustrates nicely this convergence of ESG, sustainability and supply chain risk. Um, because uh, the two companies come from those two angles, ESG and sustainability, which is kind of the core business of Sphera and acquiring risk methods, which was the supply chain risk management discipline already kind of covering and embracing um, sustainability um, aspects within the kind of holistic perspective, but going much further. And I think this, this illustrates where um, we envision to drive a more safer, more sustainable, and more also pro also more productive world um, by 
bringing all those um, um, aspects together because ESG and sustainability doesn't stop at the four walls of the own enterprise. Um, the extended arm, so to say, of the supply chain has, has so much leverage to contribute to better working conditions, to uh, make sure human rights are, are matched within the supply networks um, rather than the own four walls, that it's, it's a logical consequence of, of thinking forward and how, how to position the own enterprise into a manner that um, the business is going to um, be successful for the next decades. Because one thing is, is definitely clear. You can't try to get around all those pressure points as illustrated at the very beginning because mm. at the end of the day, the business will suffer significantly because there are huge downsides, not only regulatory fines, penalties, market exclusions. It's also be banned from the customer. What, what else can happen while at the same time you got spent money to, to firefight um, the problem that, that occurred in terms of rebuilding the brand, sourcing alternative suppliers, very costly, time delay, whatever it is. So the downside is, is so huge that um, it has become a competitive um, key success factor to make sure supply chains are acting in an ethical, social and uh, sustainable manner. Mm. So really one thing doesn't go with another and that was the industrial, I call it industrial logic of, of the acquisition. And customers are very, very excited about this move and the perspective of also being capable moving forward to, to provide auditable um, scope three emission footprints of enterprises because we can now merge the competence and excellence within the supply chain together with the excellence and competence within the ESG and sustainability area. Mm. There is also there was a rationale of complementary products, as I said, but also in terms of target audience, the regional strengths of um, the two companies. Um, risk former risk methods being a pure SaaS. Um, um, provider is also um, making sure that um, the technology stack is state-of-the-art and is future-proof and the business model um, is as well. And um, combining this with a strong commitment from, from Sphera to A, the strategy, but also to R&D and um, to lead um, the specific field um, were very attractive um, facets that uh, made us um, um, to to enter into this acquisition agreement and also excites us today. Sounds it sounds really exciting. Uh, not standing in place, not sitting on laurels. It sounds like uh, despite the instant gains that this acquisition, this marriage presents today, man, the future is bright. We're all going to have to be wearing shades of what's to come, Heiko, is what I'm hearing. Is that right? <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Enrique. Uh, speak to some of those things uh, that Heiko just mentioned, whether whether some of the technology trends or about this uh, uh, the sphere acquisition of risk methods and what it presents to the market. Well, I think it's a little bit of uh, of both, if you allow me. I mean, on one hand, Heiko has been talking over and over about collaboration and integration and how important it is not to see uh, each company as individuals. I feel like that's uh, a key message that he was trying to hammer. To everyone and I think the acquisition is very in line with that kind of uh, spirit of integration and collaboration and looking for more than just maximizing your short-term profits because uh, 
I read a, a question that was talking a little about the cost, and I know we're not going to get into detail on that, <laughs> but but the return on investment is is positive. Like uh, it depends on the planning horizon that these companies have. So mm. marrying Sphera with uh, risk methods, I think, gives you that right. It just not only gives you the information and uh, detail analysis that you need now, but it also kind of helps you with that longer term future perspective of how important it is to become a purpose-driven and responsible company. Not mm. for, not because, and I've said this before with you, Scott, not because you want to be nice or you want to be the role model, just because it's good business sense. If you do not do that, you'll be out of business. There's no mm. question about it. All right, Heiko, I'll give, give you a chance to respond to that. Uh, and again, congrats on all the, um, yeah. uh, the development uh, where we are, where you and your team are today, where it's heading. I mean, this is a really exciting stuff. And, and, you know, uh, one last thing, and, and, and we're, then we're going to make sure folks know exactly when to call Sphera, uh, Heiko and the team is, you know, because of everything you've been speaking to here today, right? The landscape folks, the landscape isn't, isn't freezing as we all know in the current state, right? So you have to partner with technology, um, uh, providers and, and partners that allow an evolving um, uh, application and platform. But Heiko, your final comment, and then I want to make sure folks know how to uh, connect with you and, and what Sphera does in particular. Yeah, I think I'm going to repeat one of the themes that I mentioned. Uh, make your business partners part of the solution of building more resilient and sustainable supply chains. Um, second, as I said, start with making the case doing proper prioritization because you can't be the check in all trades from the very beginning. Um, scope the elements of your program that really matters um, to get fast to the 80% of the value. Um, start with implementing, don't wait, don't overthink the stuff. All your business partners or um, kind of providers will bring so much expertise um, like us, like almost 20 years now expertise within that domain. Don't stop at the implementation, measure the traction. Make sure you're capable to prove to your internal stakeholders and budget um, holders that there's ongoing value that you receive out of a supply chain risk management program on an ongoing basis. Means start small, learn fast, scale up, and continue to improve because the world is not stopping and your lessons learned will be gold for, for other stakeholders within your organization. So bake them in, into the program and con continuously improve. Heiko, love that. Man, uh, truckload of good news you brought here today. Uh, and, and I love how you kind of uh, um, uh, implied the aftercare, the critical aftercare that comes uh, after implementation in your last few comments. Uh, okay, so Enrique and Heiko. Uh, Heiko, I want to make sure folks know um, uh, we've got some resources from your team. We'll share those in a second. But hey, when's the time, other than now, when's the time to call Sphera? And, and have an introductory discussion, perhaps. Heiko? So every time, um, feel free to reach out to me. I think, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there is no too late. There is no too early. Um, I think everything that matters is having an um, open dialogue about the specific situation, figure out um, where you want to go, and then based on your specific situation, define, okay, what should be the path to get um, where you want to be? And um, feel free to reach out to me hschwartz at sphera.com or try LinkedIn. I'm not the best LinkedIn kind of uh, <laughs> model with the highest responsiveness, 
but I'm there, you'll find me. And um, I'm pretty sure the Supply Chain Now team also provides um, further links to how to contact us and where to find also more knowledge in our knowledge base on in the internet to learn more about the discipline and the how. Heiko, you're reading my mind. How, how'd you do that? You're reading my mind. Uh, so yes, Heiko and the team brought some uh, brought some resources. Uh, check out the Sphere of Supply Chain Risk Management landing page with a lot more uh, about what you got to know uh, when it comes to SCRM and maybe how the, what Sphere yeah. brings to the table. And hey, if you don't want to reach out to Heiko uh, on LinkedIn, which he admits he's not the LinkedIn super user, that's okay. There's a lot of, a lot of folks out there that, that don't have time for that. The good news is you can contact Sphere using that second link. And of course, we want to be able to help you make that connection. Okay, Enrique, uh, of course, folks, first off, um, Heiko, thank you for your time here today and everything you've shared. Heiko Schwartz uh, with the Sphere team really have enjoyed it, uh, but don't go anywhere just yet. But thank you for your time. Thank you. Now it's time for Jane and Tonic. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And, and speaking of uh, Enrique, of course, Enrique, folks know uh, you you lead and host our Logistics with Purpose podcast and Supply Chain Now in Espanol. Folks can find that wherever you get your podcast. Enrique, before we all uh, wrap this up, what is one favorite thing you heard here today from Heiko? Well, I heard many, many good things, all kind of around the collaborating and integrating, but I think I'll keep the last comment that he made, which is start small and learn fast. I think that that's just basically what we need in this world, right? Mm, I'm with you. And and great partners, great partners uh, with aligned interests and, and um, the ability to, as Heiko mentioned, not eat bites of the elephant, but at a minimum take slices, right? Move, move faster. But hey, big thanks to Heiko Schwartz, Global Supply Chain Risk Advisor with Sphere. Thank you, Heiko. Thank you. Appreciate. And thanks, Scott. Thanks, um, Enrique. was a you pleasure. Bet. You bet. And Enrique Alvarez, folks, check out the podcast wherever you get your podcast, Logistics with Purpose, Supply Chain Now in Espanol. Thank you, Enrique. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Heiko. But here's the deal, folks. On behalf of our entire team here, Scott Luton challenged you to do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.